Welcome to the Mustang Owners Podcast. And now your host, Steve Hall. Welcome to the Mustang Owners Podcast. My name is Steve Hall. I'm the Executive Director of the Mustang Owners Museum. And today we have a very special guest that's going to be with us. He is actually the Ford Global Design Director, um, which is a, as you can imagine, I have to say, is a very big title with a lot of responsibility. But I'd like to welcome Joel Piakowski to our uh, to our podcast. Joel, welcome. Hi, Steve. It's great to be here with you guys. Well, we're looking forward to chatting with you. I know you had quite a bit of work from our earlier conversations with the 2015, so I'd like to kind of focus on that because, of course, that's a car that uh, is still going strong with our hobby enthusiasts. And uh, obviously, it's you know, translated into Shelby's and Mach 1s. And so it's got a great uh, lineage of cars from the, from the, from starting from 2015. But I'm, I'd like to just start with kind of right off the bat. is like when starting to do a new generation, such as the 2015, when did the program start when you had to look at design? And does design start first or engineering or how does that work together? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Steve, and certainly for your audience who probably doesn't have much insight into the, the inner workings of the auto industry. Um, really starts with uh, some of the planning and being able to plan out when is a new new model, new vehicle coming into the, the cycle plan. Uh, and then w- once that's determined, the, then if there is a vehicle architecture that's not in place, then there's some very early upfront vehicle architecture work. And by vehicle architecture, what I'm speaking about is uh, uh, the powertrain, uh, the, the, the chassis, the all the hardware, uh, the underbody structure, and then also the, the assembly plant that it's going to, to go into. And then uh, once that's determined, then uh, vehicle engineering uh, engages with the vehicle architecture team and, and the design organization uh, gets involved as well. And we start uh, laying out all the, the hard points, if you will, you know, what's going to create the, the footprint size uh, of the vehicle, the, the, the profile of the vehicle, uh, interior, exterior uh, details and components, and really start kind of putting the pieces of the puzzle in place. And then also at the same time, uh, the marketing teams are, are, are working to uh, identify the, the customer, uh, their specific needs as we look to the forward-looking uh, vehicle that's going that we're going to be working on and developing. And then it all kind of comes together uh, as a cross-functional team to start creating, in this case, the, uh, the 2015 Mustang. Uh, so we were probably really thoroughly engaged in the design development in early 2011. Uh, so we had uh, customer briefs from the marketing team. We had the vehicle architecture set up. Uh, actually, it wasn't set up completely. We were going through the process of setting it up because as we, um, uh, you know, we were transitioning from the uh, S197 into the S550, it was a all-new all architecture. We were reproportioning the vehicle dramatically to to really change up the the overall aesthetic stance and emotional appeal of uh of the uh, 2015. so it was a a a real cross-functional effort passionate people up down throughout the uh, team mustang to to really get it to to work 
as the architecture was coming together and we were working with the, the engineering community and the marketing teams were in, in the background also, um, you know, sketching and developing uh, theme ideation that would then go into creating um, uh, two-dimensional uh, drawings, renderings, and then those would lead into uh, scale models, uh, scale play models that we develop here in the studios. Um, and then uh, those ultimately, uh, we, we go through a design selection process and then uh, start narrowing down uh, the themes that we can uh, start to focus on as we move into full-size clay model development. Uh, we had teams across the world uh, originally sketching on Mustang, uh, then it started narrowing down and we, we brought um, all those sketches and, and back to Dearborn, uh, some of our team out in Irvine, California and our advanced studio was, was supporting as well. So a uh, real, real team effort. And uh, you know, ultimately we, we designed and developed a vehicle here in Dearborn, Michigan, where, the, where all the Mustangs have, have been designed and developed. So that's kind of the, the high level flyby. Uh, hopefully it wasn't too confusing, but uh, certainly help, can help you break that down if you want. Sure. Well, uh, and I will get into a little bit. I, I thought it was interesting. You talked about how the designs were actually uh, cultivated out of different design houses from like, or you mentioned Irvine and, and other other areas. I recently had gotten across some uh, some information when they ver did the very first Mustang, which of course was Gail Holderman's design was picked. But I found out that they had done a couple of other designs from Lincoln. And there was another Ford team that did a design. So there was just, but then back in those days, they didn't have the, probably the international aspect or connection that, that you know, is, is available today. So those folks pretty much, you know, uh, when I talked with Gail about his design, he said his design was something unique and different, but yet he's still in, in the C post. It is a Lincoln, it is inspired by Lincoln Continental. And so I, I guess my point is there, of course, their their aspirations or their, their designs are all something centered around what they were already doing in Detroit, where now, of course, you have a group of folks around the world that are going to have probably different visions and looks that you're able to draw from, which are going to obviously, I think, will probably help the uh, design, give you more things to look at and kind of create something, especially with the Mustang now becoming a more global platform. That's that's interesting to hear that it was done that way. Yeah, you know, just to be clear, you know, what we like to do with with all of our programs is to we we often do what we call a sketch blitz, and we we open up the the sketch blitz to our global teams, and uh, it's really interesting to see what what global design studios uh, within Ford Motor Company how they think about, say, if, for example, obviously Mustang or F one fifty, specifically because you know they, they may not be familiar with the brand, but but ultimately, we designed the the S550, the the 2015 Mustang, here in Dearborn. It was, but what, what's good about getting input just from our, our our global design team is we get inspired by by you know some of the trends, some of the different thoughts that might be happening. But ultimately, we're the stewards uh, here in Dearborn of you know creating that that Mustang formula, that, that aesthetic that uh, our customers know and love. We, we knew we were taking a bit of a risk on the uh, 2015. It was, um, it was stretching a lot. It was uh, new proportions, but we, we really felt passionate about what we ended up with. Uh, obviously, the, the success of the, the vehicle speaks volumes. 
and it's you know really exciting to be part of a cross-functional team that that carries on and brought in the the uh, 50th anniversary Mustang uh, for the uh, the world to enjoy, quite frankly. And it, it that was really our first uh, Ford Motor Company's first global Mustang. Well, I will tell you from the enthusiast aspect, it was probably the more, one of the more anticipated Mustangs that came out. Of course, there's all kinds of rumors, which obviously is going to happen in the car world. They're going to have somebody has some piece of information that they try to share, and it kind of gets expanded on a little bit. Uh, or, or I should say little liberties are taken with it. I was actually one of the directors with uh, with Mustang Club of America, worked closely with Jim Owens. That's how I got to know Jim Owens a little bit better. The opportunity to have the 2015 on hand, uh, we had the anniversary edition on hand, and it was just phenomenal. It was, you know, it was what everybody was looking for, and I don't know of anybody that had any kind of uh, concerns about the car. They loved it because they thought it was the next step forward, and I think they were happy considering, like you said, you know, the, the fifth generation car was quite different from the third and the fourth. It kind of went back to some of its earlier roots, and now this, the sixth generation seemed to be and more futuristic extension. So there was a lot of excitement and and pleasure to see the work that was done. So I'd have to say from what I could tell, it was a home run uh, as far as that, because I know that, like you said, there's a lot of pieces that you guys do certainly take a look at to uh, make sure it happens. Well, let's get on into a couple, if I could, a couple more more specific questions. Uh, I know you kind of answered about this to a degree because of the design centers, but how many different designs do you look at or, or renderings do you actually look at? I mean, is it in the 20s, 50s, 100 different uh, renderings. When you start to look at a 2015 model, how how many do you actually start to kind of look through? Yeah, there are uh, you know hundreds of proposals submitted, and it's it's not that they're submitted all at once, but there's a kind of what we call a course to fine approach to how we design any of our vehicles. Quite frankly, where we do uh, at the very early stages a lot of um, visual bandwidth and we, we create um, designs that that really span the gamut of, of mild to wild if you will from that we we look we discuss um, we look at it through through a customer lens and you know the input that we we learn from from customers but at the same time you know what is our our natural gut instinct as a as a company and a design organization to say yes these are the themes that, that we feel strongly about that that represent a future Mustang. And you know, these perhaps, although they look great, perhaps they're 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 not as progressive or or they're a little too retro for where we want to take the next generation Mustang. So then from there, uh, you know, we kind of narrow down some of those themes and then the, the design teams continue to work refining some of those themes, uh, expanding on those in, in some cases. And it's, it's a continual uh, effort. If you think of, uh, of a funnel, uh, Steve, it's uh, you know, wide at the top and next down to the bottom or, or an hourglass where you know, it, it kind of goes from very coarse and broad at the top and uh, necking down to the, to the base. And that, that's ultimately what we, we end up doing with, with any of our designs and program development. But, but but again, it's it's a, it's a very exciting, dynamic process. It's at least ninety nine and a half percent of the work that gets generated ends up on the cutting room floor, as they say. <laughs> well, I can I can imagine, especially if like you say we have hundreds of uh, renderings to look at. So you have these renderings. You've kind of, as you say, they've been funneled down to a few. 
And I would here for my thought is that the next step would be you start to look at some of these and see how they start to form onto a clay model, or do you still narrow it down further before you go to clay model, or how does that how does that then translate to the clay models? It's the, the, they're almost like a, a dual path, if you will. Certainly, we start with the the design renderings and, and sketch ideation, also the the proportions of the vehicle. Sometimes we will even create a proportional model, just a, a generic proportional model to to be sure that what we've been developing in the upfront early work is proportionally uh, what we think is is the best direction. And then as as the sketch renderings are are ongoing, we start in the case of the the 2015, we started doing scale models, scale clay models from multiple themes, and you know we probably had at least eight or 10 scale theme models, if not more. And you know those also go through a, a kind of a, a funneling process, but, but it's, it's happening in conjunction with the, the, the 2D sketches. So they're, they're, they're working side by side, hand in hand, the designers creating the, the sketch themes, they're working with the, the clay modeling and digital modeling teams to interpret those into either digital or, or, or clay models. That, that we evaluate. And, and again, it, it's this funneling down process. And, you know, we have various reviews throughout the, the timeline, the, the developmental timeline of the, the program where we um, discuss obviously amongst ourselves, but also with uh, the senior leadership of the company, our process, our, our uh, thought and how we want to get to uh, one final design team. I'm just, I'm just taking all this in. This is just, for me, this is so cool. As, there, as far as, of course, you're working with the tabletops and you do start, as you say, they kind of funnel down and you get to a process where, okay, now you're ready for a full size. How long does it take to do a full size model? I, I know we have some pictures and it's just amazing to look at that and say that's a full size model. What uh, what kind of time frame does that take to uh, to create something like that? So with a uh, full size clay model, Steve, what we do, uh, we have what we call armatures. And it's um, you know just some some steel uh, that's built up to uh, a form, and then on top of that we put uh, plywood, and on top of that we put um, white styrofoam. That that's kind of built to an overall profile or shape of the uh, the design theme. And with our um, with our technologies of digital milling where uh, we have large five-axis milling machines, uh, three-axis and five-axis milling machines, we're able to then mill down or mill back the, the white styrofoam to say about um, anywhere from three to five inches under what we think is, is going to be our final surface, just directionally, our, our final surface. And then from there, um, clay, uh, our, our modeling clay in the studios here, is then applied to that that foam armature, and then it, it's built up in in, in layers uh, to a point where there's enough clay on there that we can then use our uh, digital uh, math models, put it on the milling machines, and have the the milling machines then mill back that those digital surfaces into the clay. So that that sounds like a bit of a mouthful. Uh, let me just touch base with you and see if you got that kind of formulated in your head no no i no, i do i do but again i i have to say i'm, I'm probably I'm, I'm i'm maybe a bit of an advantage because of course 
Uh, we have some photos of previous from 2015 on the machine, as it were, showing uh, with the, how it's being milled and how it's being structured as such. And then, of course, we see we have some photos of a little bit more finished. It's still a clay model, of course, but it's a little bit more finished where you, the wheels have been attached, little accent pieces. You can start to, It starts to shape, take more and more of that shape. So uh, right. I do follow you. My, but when you were saying that, I will say this little question that popped in my head was, how much does that thing weigh? Because this got to be pretty <laughs> heavy. <laughs> well, it, uh, clay is very heavy. Um, obviously, the steel armature that we use is is, is quite uh, robust. Yeah. So the, the the clay models do weigh more than than physical cars. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I it had to. I guess they don't roll very well, do they? So I, I that was what I was actually thinking when you were when you're going through that. So that that's interesting. Uh, one of the things we that we learned or I've learned uh, is that of course when you did the 2015 model, you also do a full size interior. It's in clay, and that's one thing I can say from our photos that we share with our guests. They go, they had no idea, I think it's more of an afterthought, they had no idea about the interior design, that, you know, they think about the exterior, but then to find out that there's a full clay interior, and it's done in, in, in clay and processed, so that, that was very interesting. So if you don't mind, I'd like to hear a little bit of how that progresses or how that starts but then how then of course it's got to get matched into the cars so that the interior will fit inside the exterior that's being designed uh they got to work together of course but i'd like to hear a little bit more how that works hand in hand with the design yeah that's uh it's also a, a pretty interesting uh process for for those that haven't uh experienced <laughs> professional design studio so so yes similar to the uh, exterior uh, clay model process, we do uh, similar on the interior. Uh, however, the, the interior armature is, is kind of inside out, more like a, a bathtub, if you will. And we, we typically will work from the, the B pillar uh, of the car forward. So from the, the end of the front door uh, forward is what we will uh, focus on uh, initially. And that includes the instrument panel, driver and passenger side door, center console, and then we use uh, surrogate seats, uh, typically uh, seats that are already in production that, that we can uh, put in place while the, the seats are being designed in a, in a different uh, studio or, or, or department. Uh, but with the, the, the clay model interior, a uh, similar process where we have uh, armature that's built up uh, with, in this case, we use uh, aluminum uh, rigging, wood, and uh, styrofoam, as previously mentioned, on the exterior, and then, uh, then of course, adding the, the the clay on top of that styrofoam. Uh, and then we do the the mill back of uh, of the surfaces that have been generated. Again, that same uh, coarse to fine uh, sketch design process that we did on the exterior uh, is is happening uh, equally at the same time on the interior. Uh, and, and then. It, it, once we get it uh, roughed out into the, uh, the clay model, uh, you know, we can mill very, very fine details or we can leave it a, a little more uh, rough or loose, if you will, so that the, um, the design team, the clay modelers can, can go in and manipulate the clay uh, as, as they uh, see, see fit to, to balance proportions, to uh, change the, the surfaces that, that you see on the instrument panel. Uh, look at all the details, the, the components, how they all fit together. We, we also do use a lot of um, 3D printing to create our uh, interior components and even exterior components. And uh, 
if you can imagine, we have a design team that, that's uh, focusing on, on these components, both interior and exterior. So uh, they are simultaneously working together to uh, design the components, uh, the knobs, the screens, the steering wheel, the shifter, the door release pulls, uh, headlights, taillights, road wheels, grill mesh details. And we, um, we, we will develop those, um, those components, again, going through a, a 2D course defined process and then create those uh, digitally with uh, math modeling. And then uh, from that math model, we're able to send it to a 3D printer to create those, um, those hard parts that we can then place into the clay model. And that goes for, again, uh, interior and exterior components. So we'll actually carve out a footprint of a knob to put into the interior clay. We have a three-dimensional steering wheel that, that will mount onto a steering column that's part of the interior uh, clay model buck. Uh, so, so you can really, once you start, you can really detail out the entire uh, interior clay model, start making it look real. And we, uh, we will finish these hard parts. Uh, we will paint them. We will plate them in, in chrome finishes if we want to use chrome or a satin chrome. We have a, a really unique process to wrap the, the interiors. Uh, so the instrument panel, for example, that, that's, that's typically black in, in your car. We have uh, molds that, that we've developed that have a, a grain in them. Uh, and it's, it's a big flat sheet about the size of a, a desktop, if you will. And our, our, um, our shops are able to pour a liquid acrylic into that textured mold. And uh, they, they build up layers. So it, it becomes about, um, let's say, uh, two to three millimeters thick. And once that cures, they're able to peel it out of the mold. And it becomes almost like a, a, a piece of leather that they can then adhere on to the clay model which then gives you the impression of a, of a grained texture and, and painted finish on the instrument panel, on the doors, on the console, everything that you see in the interior. So we go to great depths to really detail out our, our models. So it has a, a very high fidelity and we're able to then uh, you know, really visualize those, those models in, in three dimensions and have reviews with, um, with our uh, management teams. It's, uh, it's an exciting, exciting process to watch it all come together and be a part of it. No, I, I can imagine as I'm listening to this, uh, and it makes me kind of think about well, exterior and interior design teams. They're separate. They're not the same guys or ladies doing the work. It's the different guys, different people doing it. And same with the with the modelers. But which takes longer or which is a little bit more difficult to to kind of get to get to a final point with? Because, of course, both are extremely important and to, of course, make sure that the aesthetics, as you say, is going to resonate to the hobby uh, and, the, and the car buyers. But is, is, does, is it traditionally, is, is, is it the exterior a little bit more difficult to make sure you get it right compared to the interior? What's, what's more difficult, interior or exterior? It's, it's, it's hard to say one versus the other because it, it, it's, it's very dependent on, on a number of variables, Steve. Certainly the, the exterior, it's, it's, it's a very emotional and when, when you've got uh, something that's 50 years successful in the marketplace everyone is, is very focused on on that vehicle uh equally on the interior 
So as we were developing the 2015, there was passion on, on both exterior and interior design development. And I, th I think the most difficult element is coming down to the final design selection to say this is the, the right thing to do for the car because sometimes there, there are a couple really great design themes that have been proposed uh, you know, right up to the, the time that we have to make a decision on what we want to take forward and, and continue developing that, that final design. That becomes the, the biggest challenge, I would say, because you, know, you can argue one way or the other, but I think ultimately what it comes down to is, you know, is it right for the brand? How does it, is it right for the customer? And then is it futured enough from a design standpoint? So th those are the things we, we really take into cons consideration as we um, make our ultimate design selections. And, you know, it, it's, um, you know, even if you, if you have two or three different design themes at the final uh, time of uh, design selection, uh, final theme selection, it's, it's a really passionate time for, for the company to, to make this, uh, this final decision. You can imagine such a passionate vehicle like Mustang, how, how that energy comes out in such reviews. And it's, um, it, it really just shows the, the strength of, of the brand uh, internally and the, the, the passion that the collective Ford organization has to, to be sure that we continue shepherding on uh, a great brand into the future for, uh, for all the right reasons. The times I've been up there, and I do sense that the the design team members that I have met, they are certainly, they do take it personally, so to speak. It is a passion to them that they want to make sure they get it right. Above all else is making sure that they are continuing the legacy and the heritage of Mustang. So it's very personal, and it's overwhelming, overwhelming to hear that or see that because as a Mustang enthusiast, you want to know that the guys who are taking care of in this generation and the future generations they're just as passionate. They're not just going to give you a car because it's a car. They want to give you something that's going to, you know, that's going to continue that passion and that connection that we as Mustang enthusiasts already have. So it's been interesting. As we, you know, we we talked with uh, Steve Ling a while about a month or so ago, and he, you know, he expressed many of the same comments that you've did. How important it is for them personally to make sure they do it right, because this is something that's important. Uh, as, a, as of course, for a brand for Ford, but it's also important for the enthusiasts. And so they do take it very personal. They really want to go to the M3 to make sure it's exactly that next generation vehicle. So it's, it, it certainly comes out and, sh and it shows that. Well, let me ask then if, you know, you talked about how you kind of start the conversation back in 2011. When does the design of the car finally kind of get locked in? It's okay, that's it. It's, it's done. We're, we're not doing anything else to it. Of course, of course, you want to debut it in 2014 in this case because it's a year before, but you want to kind of get it out there for the 50th. So when does the when does the designs or that part kind of okay? We're done. We're set. That's it. When does that get done? Yeah, well, you know, we have timelines for for all of our um, uh, programs at Ford Motor Company, and you know, we're we're kind of set up to to meet certain uh, milestones within that timeline. Uh, each each program differs in you know how much time is spent in the early upfront design phase um, but you know once we get to a, a design selection that's you know we, we started in uh, about 2000 early 2011 uh, in earnest and uh, I think it was um, about mid 2012 we were uh, locked into a design theme and uh, and then 
from from locking in, that doesn't mean we're finished. That means now we really start finessing, refining, making sure uh, we're meeting all the engineering specifications uh, for for uh, production and, and the tolerances that that are needed. Continuous development of uh, all the components, um, both uh, exterior and interior. The you know and endless amounts of, of refinement that, that continue to go into the final development of a vehicle once design themes are, are selected. And, you know, that, that, that's easily eight to 12 months of, um, of refinement uh, once a, a design theme is selected, at least on the, uh, the 2015. So it's, um, it, it, it seems like a long time, but it, it goes by so quickly. And, you know, sometimes we, we run into, to barriers or, or problems where, you know, manufacturing might have a, have an issue with how parts or pieces come together. So we have to reassess how we design and uh, those parts. You know, we have we have to make changes to surfaces to uh, clear certain tolerances of the the underbody or say for example a, a hood hinge. You know, hood hinges um, and door hinges are particularly challenging. And then it cause a, a lot of churn sometimes to to really get the the body side surface right to accommodate uh, door hinges. Uh, just little things like that that you know I think uh, the general public probably wouldn't even think about, but uh, it all has to happen at some point in time. And this is the the part in the design process where all really comes together. Uh, you know, really is bring all the all the functions together and making sure that that design can go down the assembly line. You just actually went right into my next question. Let's say the 20 the very first 2015 is coming down the assembly line. Do you and the team go out to take a look at it and say, "Well, let's see what it looks like or uh, did it did it function through as expected?" I mean, I know I would be too excited not to want to do that, but I'm just kind of <laughs> curious with the do you guys kind of say, "Well, the first one's coming down today, so let's go take a look at it." Uh so do you do that? Absolutely, Steve. We have what we call a pilot plant, and that uh, that pilot plant is actually um, a dedicated facility where they do pre-production work. Uh, so there's a, a miniature assembly line, uh, kind of working out some of the the, the processes, uh, bringing all the the early uh, prototype uh, parts into this uh, pilot plant to start assembling them onto uh, our, our first uh, first vehicles. And these these first vehicles are are the vehicles that end up being seen on the road in camouflage. So I think we're all familiar with uh, spy photography. Sure. So those uh, spy photo shots are more often than not, uh, these early prototype vehicles that have been built in, in this uh, pilot plant that, that we have. Okay. So as uh, before they even get down the road, though, you're, you're absolutely correct. We're we're down in the pilot plant, watching, looking, reviewing all the parts, uh, all, all the sheet metal forming, all the highlights on the sheet metal, uh, just to be sure that it's it's uh, meeting our um, final design intent, and it, it's it's a super exciting process, and it, it really happens quickly from the time that we release. Um, uh, surfaces of our final design theme to the time uh, the the tool manufacturers and suppliers are able to return parts back to the company to start uh, looking at uh, prototype uh, uh, parts and then ultimately how they 
and then fit onto the uh, the early assembly in the pilot plants. Yes. Well, I know we've been going for quite a bit here, and I really appreciate your time. But two more quick questions. One uh, we spoke about a little bit before we started is I love to hear you tell our audience the passion that the owner that the Mustang world has for their Mustang, but you have to look at it from a little bit of a different eye is that when you see these cars on the road or you go to a car show and you see the passion, I like to get an idea of how you feel, how that resonates to you. Because not every, you know, it's, 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 it's important because like I said, these people, the, the, the people that have Mustangs, they, they love them. They're, they become family members in many cases, but how does, how does that affect you? How do you, when you see that, what's your feeling? How does that stir you? Yeah, Steve, it's really, really hard to describe those feelings. Um, you know, it's something I, I started my career off uh, always wanting to do, to to, to be a part of um, the greater good, to, to bring joy to people's lives through through the automobile. I've got a family history, so I'm, I'm, ex- I'm I've been exposed to this uh, throughout my life, and I, I knew it was something that I wanted to, to do from a very young age. You know, I, I've been in the industry now for uh, going on 32 years and I've had the opportunity to work on some uh, amazing vehicles. And what's really exciting is to see customers. So for example, Mustang customers, how, how passionate they are for the work that the design organization that I'm part of Ford Motor Company, who's, who's delivering the, these vehicles to the customers, how, how excited and passionate those those customers are and what they do to their vehicles, how they customize them, how they appreciate them, how they collect them. And, you know, what's also fascinating too is, you know, the, the 2015 as mentioned earlier is was really the first um, global Mustang to, to be in countries uh, far beyond our shores and, and see Mustangs in, in a different context in Europe, in China, in Australia, in South America. It's absolutely sensational to see the the passion and, and the, the joy and fulfillment our customers get from um, you know their experience and ownership of of, of having these vehicles. And it, it's um, it, it's such a blessing to be part of uh, an, an organization like this and have had the opportunity to work on such an in, incredible vehicle that um, is is the best selling sports car in the world and brings joy to so many customers worldwide. I, it's undescribable. I can appreciate that because uh, I know that uh, the owners appreciate the work that Ford and his members and his t- team Mustang members do because it, it shows. Uh, it really does. It, it just shows in what we end up having as each year comes out or the next Mach 1 or the GT500. They're proud to be Mustang owners. They are proud of what Ford has done and what Ford and Ford listens to them. I think that's something else that I'm not saying I don't know about other car companies, so I can't speak of them. But I do know that the feeling is that Ford listens to the owners. There's been history in the way back uh, regarding Mustang and the and the enthusiasts and the conversations that went on and what happened from there uh, that a lot of us you know everybody knows about. But it's just that Ford does listen, and so that way. They feel that they also have ownership of the product, and so that uh, that's that's what makes Mustang what it is. So we we, we appreciate it. Thank you. Um, well, I always like to wrap up with some fun kind of quick questions, and that is sure. I already know part of the answer. I don't know if I know all the answer, but what uh, what kind of Mustang do you have? Oh, I've got a 
got the Shelby in the garage at GT350R. <laughs> Did you have a chance to go do a track day? I, I had the uh, absolute blessing to do a track day down at uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway um, with the uh, GT, GT350 track attack. That was an absolute riot to, to be on the, on the Roval, really experiencing the car for what it was designed to do. And it was uh, just smile ear to ear. Went by so quick, um, but, but to have that, that opportunity to uh, drive the Roval, be on the, the embankments and the corners, go through the chicane, and just let it rip was uh, absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> well, it must be. And, and, and to hear that, that voodoo motor just scream and wail yes. like it was designed to do. Yeah. music to your ears well Incredible. that's that's what had to be kind of interesting while you've got and while you're you know the one day course there you're sitting there and you're going you know i helped build some of this stuff i helped design some of this stuff i'm i'm i have some of my dna in this and so it had to be really kind of a unique experience did you do the ride where you had one of the instructors ride and you got to go as a passenger yeah that was at the at the very end of our right. our session um and that was just uh eye-popping, blisteringly quick, uh, <laughs> something that, you know, I, I could never do myself. And it was just such a great experience to to be with a professional driver in that car, pushing it to its limits and really feeling what it was uh, capable of doing. Yeah, I think I think it was Jim Owens that coined the phrase. I, I'm not 100% sure, but there was the wash. When you have a professional driver and you're strapped in as the passenger, you get the washing machine effect. And that is, of course, while they're going and what have you, you find yourself because of the G's moving around and such. And of course, at those, at those speeds, that's a little extreme, but uh, they're very good over there. And like you said, it's quite an experience. And so it's, it's something that, you know, you hope more and more people, and I know the team over there who does the driving school, they do a great job. We have a lot of people who go to that driving school. They'll come over to the museum either the day before or the day after. And the ones that come over the day after, they still have the biggest grin on their face. It's like, you know, they, they, it's like, you know, it's almost like they think about that, that driving school is such a neat aspect. But again, I'm, I bring that up for the purposes. I don't know of any other car company that will let you buy a, a performance vehicle and then says, we are going to have you, you, you get yourself here, but you get a free day on the track with professionals. There's no one else that does that. I mean, it's just like, Oh, you got that car? Well, here's your keys. Go have fun. Read the, read the owner's manual. Be sure you read it so you know what you're doing. Bye-bye. Where Ford actually will sit and say, okay, you've got a 350, you've got a 500, or you've got a Mach 1. They want you to understand that what that experience should be, not just use it as a car to drive around a little bit or take your kids to school. It's a performance vehicle. Enjoy it as a performance vehicle, which leads me to the question, how often do you drive your GT350R? Well, Steve, um, I don't I know, drive it as often. Yeah, I sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. And I know you're in Detroit, so weather sometimes can be a factor. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, um, I, I don't drive it uh, nearly as often as I would like to. It's, it's, it's an amazing vehicle. Uh, I also have the opportunity to take cars home from from work, and they're they're just uh, you know a blast to drive. It. And it, it's it's a shame sometimes that they're they really live and thrive on a track environment. And it's, um, it's, it's almost hard to drive them on the street because they, they just want to go. And <laughs> I, I'm sure uh, many of your, your listeners will, will know and have had the experience of uh, perhaps dipping a little bit too, too hard into the, uh, the, the right accelerator pedal. 
<laughs> but yeah. it's, uh, it, it just brings a smile to your face. But Mustang is a visceral experience. No matter what Mustang you have, it's it's visual, it's audible, it's it's g-forces, it's sensation, it's wind in your hair if you have a convertible. It's it's the the pleasure of as you leave the car, you look back over your shoulder and say, "Wow, that's my Mustang." Oh. It's it brings a smile to you. We we have people who will loan us their Mustang, of course, and so the car is out of the garage for a period of time. And when they come back to get it, the wife will pull me aside and she'll say, you have no idea how many times he went out to the garage to look at his car because he forgot you had it. <laughs> they just they just want to go look at their car just to go see it. So you're right. Everything you've said is actually right on target. Absolutely correct. Well, with that, I need, I'm need i going to wrap it up because I really appreciate the time. I know we probably went a little longer than 30 minutes. This is something that I know, our, our like I said earlier, our listeners are going to really thoroughly enjoy listening. Because this is the kind of information, the passion that they like to get. I mean, they really do. And to be able to talk with part of the team that makes that happen is just going to be phenomenal for them. So thank you very much. It's, uh, it's been my, my pleasure and honor to represent uh, Ford Motor Company and Ford Design in this little uh, chat we've had, Steve. And uh, hopefully we'll get the invite to come back on and we can talk about the, the other Mustang in the stable called the Mustang Mach-E. And that's a great story on itself as well. And we definitely will. I know uh, as, I'm, as I'm going through the conversation, I realize there's just so many other things that we could talk about. You're absolutely right. I appreciate that. It's a good idea. We will do that. So, again, thank you very much, and we'll, we'll talk soon. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another episode of the Mustang Owners Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss any episodes. For more information on the museum, please go to mustangownersmuseum.com and you'll find additional information on upcoming events.